Welcome to episode two of Almost Every Month Podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for your amazing feedback about episode one. I was so happy to hear you appreciated the deep dive into planner culture through the lens of Hobonichi. And of course, it didn't hurt that we had Helen Wang of Coffee Monsters Co. as a guest interview, did it? We can't wait to have her back on the show next year. Today's episode is digging a little deeper, a lap swim in the deep waters of Hobonichi, and includes a side note in a new segment about pens by Mike Quest. How about some Hobonichi news? In the beginning of February, Hobonichi released a bunch of new products from their spring start, all surrounded by a lot of excitement among the planner community. I even hopped in on one of their English-speaking live sessions to see some of the products. I won't be buying anything this time around, but it will take some willpower. They have some designs taken from the Tokyo National Museum pieces that are quite stunning and highly collectible. The reason I won't be buying anything is because I don't really need more planners, and I have already spent my planner budget. Do you have a planner budget? I recently realized I needed one when I went on a December spending spree for family and ended up getting myself a copy of everything. Hmm, so for February, I'll sit this one out. I did enjoy the live session though. The folksy approach of just presenting their designs, talking about how cute and useful they are, it all fits in so well with the Hobonichi brand. Founder Syndrome. So many planner lovers are entrepreneurs and small business owners, and like all humans with a good idea who start a company, they're susceptible to the phenomenon known as founder syndrome. It's a moment when the company founder's skills and strengths that have led to a company's success so far begin to double back on them, creating problems when they resist growth, change, and the sharing of power. It happens largely in conjunction with collaboration among team members, but it can also prevent a founder from ever collaborating with a team to begin with. Businessman Jonathan Hung describes seven qualities startup founders need for success. Vision, passion, team building, goal-focused, not afraid to ask for what they need, humble enough to listen and hear, and persistent and resilient. Those qualities are exactly what it takes to avoid founder syndrome, especially team building and being humble enough to listen. So I wonder, what is the opposite of founder syndrome? Is there a word for it? If so, I can't find it. So I'm going to call it Founder Fix, a collection of those qualities that Hung describes which lead to a company that can grow and adapt. I mention all of this not because I'm interested in business philosophy, but as a prelude to discussing one founder of interest to all of us, a guy named Shigesato Itoi, founder of the Hobonichi brand. From what I can see, Itoi's approach fits this description. So perhaps those seven elements are all it took for him to make a billion dollar enterprise that somehow feels so homey and personal to us all? Or perhaps there's more to it than meets the eye. Let's start with some background info on the Hobonichi company, the Techo, and the man who started it all. My guest this week is, you got it, Shigesato Itoi himself, but only kind of. To be honest, I was not the first person to send fruitless, unreplied to pleas for an interview with this founder. But strangely, most of the people who want to get a hold of him, based on my internet research, are people from the gaming world. Stay with me, it will all make sense soon. It seems that Shigesato's Hobonichi Techo and Planner products aren't the only thing that inspire a cult-like devotion. Everything he touches does. So my attempts to get him to speak to me on my fledgling podcast were not rewarded, but fortunately, I exhibit at least two qualities of his successful startup founder, as indicated by Jonathan Hung, and those are passion and resilience. I passionately reached out to no reply, 
and I resiliently found an alternative solution. That solution is that I do interview Shigesato Otoi, and that he replies from the answers of previous interviews he has given, and that I have cobbled together for you here to help you understand his vibe. And for the record, I don't blame the very busy Hobonichi team for not getting back to me. They have a business to run, and English is not their language of choice. Anyway, all of my questions are real, and all of his answers are his actual words. So I ask you, ain't that an interview? Also, it is my secret hope, and I hope you join me in this, that someday a toy will hear this podcast and all of the podcasts about Hobonichi that I make this year and think, hey, I need to speak to Kim and explain a few things. I hope this happens by November, because nothing would be better than wrapping up a year of Hobonichi than a talk editor-to-editor between Itoi and myself. If not, maybe someday we'll meet in a dream. And now some info about a new segment. Mike Quest is a dreamer, an observer, a social scribe, a photo taker, a geocacher, and an avid reader. He also refers to himself as a tie-dyed punk rock deadhead. The new segment is called Notes from the Whiskered Scribe. Mike can be found on Instagram at MikeQuestST. To many, the fountain pen seems like a relic of the past. But for many of us, the fountain pen gives us great joy. Now, for a quick primer on the pilot vanishing point mentioned in today's podcast. A pen that is perfect for quick on the notes go. In 1964, Pilot Corporation released the Capless, an exciting new pen that had a retractable nib that allowed the nib to retract into the barrel. This was a clever bit of engineering that allowed the nib to retract and seal the nib from the outside air, so the ink would not dry out. By 1972, the Capless was renamed the Vanishing Point. However, the two names seem to be divided by regions in this world and are used interchangeably. Suddenly, the fountain pen no longer had a cap that needed to be screwed on and off. A fountain pen that could be pulled out and used at a moment's notice. With a simple one-handed operation that had the same style of actuation and retraction of a clicky ballpoint pen. For some, the vanishing point is rather polarizing. People either love them or hate them. This is due to the fact that fountain pens are carried tip up. The pocket clip is at the same end as the nib. So when one writes, they will position their fingers around the clip. Some may find this awkward, while others find it gives their fingers a positioning guide that helps keep the nib at the perfect angle for writing. The vanishing point is still sold around the world and special editions are released on a regular basis. The main line currently retails in America for about $156. This pen is one of the best entry points into the world of gold nib pens with an 18 karat nib. But buyer beware. The vanishing point could often be found much cheaper online, but those pens are not gold nibbed and are made with a cheaper metal alloy nib. This is sometimes marketed as a special alloy nib, and sadly, other times, this is not mentioned at all in the listings. Pilot also has a line of pens that is thinner in diameter named the Decimo. In the 58 years that the Vanishing Point has been around, there have been style changes 
array of color choices. I personally have had my eye on one that is white with black accents. I often hear it referred to as the Stormtrooper. Find one that fits your style and give the line of vanishing points a try. Let me just interview myself first for a bit of practice. Kim, who is behind Hobonichi as a brand? Did it start with the planners? Good question, Kim. According to the website, the Hobonichi Techo was born from the website Hobonichi Nikan Itoi Shinbun, started by Shigesato Itoi in 1997. Or 1998, I've seen both dates. Simple enough, right? But who is Shigesato Itoi himself? Well, I'll tell you that after a brief word from our sponsor, who we also featured on Instagram recently. Go check them out. Ink and paper. Most people don't think about printing much, let alone get excited about it. But look around you and you'll see ink and paper everywhere, even among your most treasured belongings. At Midwest Ephemera, our small letterpress shop in Chicago, we think about ink and paper all day, every day. We'd love to work with you to create hand-printed invitations and stationery that you'll get excited about. Visit us at midwestephemera.com. Okay, Itoy got his start by writing advertisement copy. This is a good time early enough on in his origin story to tell you why I am so fascinated by this man mainly because many of his projects and businesses and passions have had an impact on my life. And yet, two months ago, I didn't even know he existed. How can an invisible force be so connected with one's own life and be so unknown, I wonder? This, I suspect, is the secret to his popularity, and also maybe the thing that makes me sound a little ridiculous. But I assure you, my fascination falls just short of adoration, and you'll see why soon enough. Also, I am a skeptic at heart, especially about anything that involves capitalism. Speaking of which, here's a word about Hobonichi as a brand. Did you ever wonder just how lucrative Hobonichi really is? Maybe you remember how I mentioned in episode 1 that Hobonichi LTD is traded on the commodity exchange. I said my research indicated that their current market capitalization is $9.3 billion, but I have since realized that it could be 9.3 billion yen, which would be $78 million. But $78 million or $9.3 billion in notebooks is not too shabby, right? Well, it turns out that there is more to Hobonichi than notebooks and planners. If you've tried to navigate their tapestry of a website, you might have stumbled onto the main home goods page where they sell everything you might find if Claire's and Ikea mashed up with H Mart and Gap. It turns out that Itoy's daily blog musings are seemingly casually attached to this online home goods brand, and that maybe even the Hobonichi Techo and his previous successes are not the real moneymakers in his empire. This is where my skepticism begins to creep in. The folksy way they present the company, the simplicity they espouse, it's all backed up by an enormously lucrative and exhaustive product line. Can those two things coexist and not create anomalies in their aesthetic and ambivalence in our feelings toward them? I mean, when I buy a sticker set off of Etsy and get a personalized card thanking me from the person who designed and printed them, I feel as if I'm participating in a microculture in a way. Well, is Hobonichi part of that microculture? Or are they not really a participant in it? Maybe looking deeper into Itoi Shigesato's work will give us some more insight. In his early days, Itoi co-authored short stories from writer Haruki Murakami called 
Let's Meet in a Dream, which Murakami described as not short stories or essays, but a book of enigmas that they enjoyed making together. In the book's preface, Murakami explains, the two of us, Itoi and I, just hammered out these stories or essays or whatever and threw them all together. And now that I think about it, it's an incredibly unique, assertive even, concept that I can't quite make any sense of. I think Murakami inadvertently shows us something about the enigma that is Itoi in that description. It would seem that Itoi likes to play, to improv and experiment. If I were making a list of qualities of a good founder, I would say the ability to do those things with other people and ignite their passions is another secret to success. So, side note, as a writer, I'm an enormous fan of Murakami and his effortless seeming style, but so are millions of us, so let's move on. Itoi has written other things, essays, lyrics, and books, for example. He eventually became an editor. My main profession for the past decade has been as an editor, and so I was delighted to discover that fact. Like any good writer or editor, Itoi's curiosity seems to extend to people, and he likes to interview them for the blog. His interviews and blog posts range from connecting with cultural icons to writing ruminative essays on the use of fountain pens to talking about his businesses and products. So it's a real hodgepodge that's seemingly inspired by where his mind is each day rather than as a brand strategy. But I'm never quite sure about that, if his topics are random or designed to feel casual but actually quite strategic, like a good Murakami book. Take, for example, an interview titled, What Does It Mean to Write?, posted in the Life Book on the website, where a toy reveals his connection with an object that inspires him, a pen. The interview is actually about how he himself uses the Hobonichi daily to write in, and yet it's self-effacing enough to use the pen, a capless fountain pen, as a point of entry, something he read about on author Fumitaki Koga's blog. Koga is famous for writing business self-help books, by the way, including this doozy, the Courage to be Disliked, which I feel is not on the Founders Fixed Top 10 list. The article goes on to talk about the importance of writing by hand. Clever, right? I mean, he happens to sell a notebook where handwriting is what it's all about. And he happens to be espousing fountain pens, which the Tomo River paper is famous for being paired with. But maybe Ko goes on to something, taking risks. A toy seems comfortable with that. He once released an experimental record called Penguinism, where he wrote and sang the lyrics himself writing experimental music, dashing off short stories with great writers. I'd say this guy is a seeker, or like one of those true artists, you know, who's always working on five projects at once. While I can't say Atoy's music has touched my life, I do share his interest in alternative music, and I am in a band. See show notes for links on the music connections. And to hear more of Atoy's album. Okay, so you like to write, and you like music, and so does Atoy. Anything else that you find interesting about the man? Yeah. Here's a big leap, perhaps surprising for those of us in the analog world on paper. Itoi designed video games for Nintendo. He designed, directed, wrote the plot and script for a cult favorite called Mother, released as Earthbound in the USA. I don't have much interest in most video games, no matter how good the story is, but the same does not go for my partner or children. They are all of them big-time gamers and also fans of Nintendo, especially Animal Crossing. You probably recall that this year's lineup included an Animal Crossing cover. A little digging around has revealed that is because Itoi is still quite close to the Nintendo team, and in fact, Animal Crossing is said to be heavily inspired by Mother. Also, I'm sure you saw the Mother designs in Hobonichi. Remember how I said lots of gamers were trying to interview him? Their adoration for the Mother series is just as intense as our adoration of Hobonichi. 
and they want a sequel to the game. So, Itoi is a bit of a gamer, like the rest of my close family members, as also evidenced by his love of Monopoly. He is in fact president of the Japan Monopoly Association. Another interesting coincidence, while Monopoly is not my favorite game, I am originally from Atlantic City, which is where the game was designed after. To me, his abiding love of a board game continues to paint a picture of him as a very curious, playful, inquiring individual, but also of a strategic person, because what are gamers if not into the mysteries of strategy? Now I can see that he probably has a systems mind like many gamers do. He likes to solve puzzles, to find solutions. Should we add that to our successful founders quality list too? The big question for me here, and you were probably wondering when I was going to get around to this, is how does Hobonichi fit into the game and the system? I'd like to ask you that question. If you use Hobonichi, have you ever thought about it from that angle? Does using the planner gamify your life? Does having a bit of a system with your planner help you to succeed? Is that part of the game? In my experience, definitely. Every time I use my planner, it's kind of trying to better myself from the week before. Next question. Can you just dash off a quick few mentions of other things that Toy has done in his lifetime that amaze you? That way you can finally get to the interview with him. The sort of interview. Sure. This is my all-time favorite one. He was the voice of the father in the Miyazaki film My Neighbor Totoro. This was an absolute favorite film in my home for many years. One my children and I watched repeatedly for its beautiful magic and simplicity. Again, to me it fits a theme. Beauty and simplicity are part of the aesthetic a toy often embraces. And might I add, my dog is named Totoro. Itoi was a judge on Japanese Iron Chef and an actor in Murakami's film Norwegian Wood. Recently, he created an Instagram-like app just for dog lovers called Dokonoko. You might have guessed I am now a user of the app. It is pure dog bliss with none of the annoying ad interruptions or non-dog content that you see elsewhere. Is he all about money or all about art? Can he be both? I mean, isn't it okay to earn a living with your passions and to share creations with others? and employ many people in doing so? Is my worldview just flawed and naive? Am I jealous? Am I just a jealous Salieri to his Mozart? Truthfully, the more I learn about this person, the more I feel that he'd be such an interesting guy to grab coffee with, which would inevitably lead to working on some cool project with him, because when he isn't starting up a new business, it seems like he is collaborating on something artistic. But I also get the strong feeling that I am definitely not the only person that feels that way about Shigesato. So he must have that final ingredient that Jonathan Hung left out of his list, charisma. Last question, Kim. Is everything you talk about 100% accurate? I wish I could say yes to that, but I have a side note about translation. As I mentioned, I'm not a Japanese speaker, so I use auto translators and the Google Translate app to understand a lot of what Itoi and his companies have to say, and I think this adds to the mystery of the whole venture for me, because some languages are pretty easy to translate and some have such vastly different grammatical structures that translations are always confounding. Here's an example I translated of a tweet about Hobonichi, apparently quoting him. Ideas are something which solves multiple issues at once. And I have to wonder, did he really say something as opaque as that? Or is the translation app just struggling to keep up? I mean, I hope it's the first option, that a toy was reflecting on his many inventions and thought to himself, hmm, every time I have an idea, it solves multiple issues at once. Like alleviating my boredom, getting me out of my wife's way today so she can do her thing, and keeping my multi-billion dollar business thriving. I also wonder, is Japan a bit obsessed with Mr. Toy for all of his contributions? 
Are they calling him the modern-day Benjamin Franklin like I just did? Or are they a bit over him, putting him in a baby boomer businessman box and moving on? And now for my imaginary interview with Mr. Shigesato Atoy himself, based on actual answers he has given to other interviews around the internet. Hello, Mr. Shigesato Atoy. Can I ask you how many Hobonichi users there are? The number of Hobonichi Techo users continues to increase every year, and to our great appreciation, we've surpassed 850,000 users. Wow, that's a lot of users! Is it because you have a wily marketing brain that you were able to win so many of us over to using Hobonichi paper planners? Some people think that it's thanks to our marketing because I used to be a copywriter, but that's not true. We don't do any standard marketing campaigns. The most I do is just tell people, try it if you like. If someone presses me further, I'd be able to tell them about the particular aspects we worked really hard on. But it's not something to particularly brag about. Okay. Well, you went on a pilgrimage to visit all the companies involved in the making of your Techo products, didn't you? What was that like? That was the motivation behind the Itoy's Pilgrimage of Gratitude project. I wasn't making these trips as a client doing spot checks on a producer. I was there to offer my thanks to everyone who works with us. We spent seven months traveling to 26 locations in Japan and overseas. Now that I've seen with my own eyes how hard people work on the Hobonichi Techo, I can feel the way the voice of Techo users is deeply ingrained in their work, not only incorporating what users want from them, but also knowing what makes users happy. Why do you think people are so excited to share Hobonichi planner spreads, journal entries, art, and more? Everyone who creates something wants nothing more than to hear what people think of it, and we're very blessed to have our users share their thoughts with us. People who use Hobonichi Techo regularly use it again the following year, and because users introduce the Techo to their friends, give it out as a gift, and because people accept that gift, we feel acutely the importance of making the Techo the best we possibly can. Hmm. Okay, well why did you make video games and why did you stop? Among those ideas I'm thinking about, I'm constantly keeping in mind what would people who played games enjoy? You see, I too would love to play and enjoy those things. I haven't just given up on digital information, hoping to have someone make that interesting game that I assume must exist. Oh, cool. Will you ever stop making stuff with people? Will you do a cool project with me sometime? Oh, I'd love to keep working together on projects. Ideally something that no one ever saw coming. Laughs. Okay, interview over. Thank you, Mr. Atoy, for speaking with me today. Now, does Mr. Atoy have extraordinary luck? Or does he have a super talent for system strategy and art? Perhaps a rare blend of math, business, and language skills? Has he inadvertently stumbled on some formula for success that gives him such great results as a businessman who shares his art? I wonder, because honestly, I know many artists who explore a variety of arts and who work very hard and who never reach such heights. Looking back at that cobbled-together interview with him, he addresses luck himself, quite humbly, and seems to leave his ego at the door. But if it is luck, it is complex. A blend of privilege and location, part of a cultural aesthetic in Japan, and timing, being a baby boomer in an era when economic forces unite. In Japan, the baby boomer generation is known as the Dankai. The Japanese phrase for this generation, Dankai no Sedai, roughly translated means born in a staged generation. It comes from the title of a novel by the author and economist Sakaya Tachi. Tachi claims that 
Due to the large size of the boomer population, it had a huge effect on employment, consumption, and national policy. The idea being that this generation of people, like boomers in the USA, had a disproportionate amount of influence on the culture. So, essentially luck, talent and charisma, privilege, culture and timing all align to make this man a fortune for all of his earnest dabbling. Even if that's the case, I'm curious if studying his approach could teach all of us something about making our own art a lucrative endeavor. And what I really want to know is how he feels about it. Does he still feel a spark of excitement every day when he opens up his Hobonichi and looks at his to-do list? Do you? Is your planner a toy and a tool? A game and a solution that helps you explore and understand your world? You know that improv technique where someone suggests something and you reply with a yes and add your own response to it? I think a toy does that. He does the thing he's excited about, shares it with enthusiasm, and if it succeeds, he then moves on, finds another and, but keeps the first thing going, hence the lucrative part where he gets an income stream. This could be the secret, y'all. I hope this is a secret you can unravel as you go about planning your life. That's it for today's episode of Almost Every Month podcast. Next month, we'll explore another angle of the Hobonichi life, the cottage industry of planning. Are you a maker churning out kawaii products to accompany planners and journals? Do you find yourself addicted to the stickers, the new releases, the customized jelly covers? How big is the cottage industry around the planning industry itself? There is much yet to be explored in planning culture. I hope you will tune in to learn more about this world and what it does for Hobonichi lovers and other planner people. If you enjoyed this episode, can you give Almost Every Month podcast a good review wherever you get your podcasts and or on social media? Alternately, if you can afford it, can you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash almost every month? For as little as $2 a month, subscribers will receive special earworm content, outtakes, and occasional stickers. And all access membership grants subscribers quarterly social media shoutouts on almost every month's social media channels, as well as brief sponsored content mentions on each episode of the podcast. There are a lot of resources about Hobonichi in this episode. Normally, I'd share these links with my Patreon subscribers only in the in-depth show notes, but this month I wanted to give you a taste. So visit patreon.com slash almost every month for the links to all the topics I mentioned in this issue. The podcast theme music is by Ken Bradley and the logo is by Aviana Vess. Check out their beautiful mushroom-based designs at Aviespore on Instagram. Thank you.